Well, good morning. Uh, hello again. I'm Doug Moss, one of the teaching pastors here, and I love that title package, especially in light of our new commons. It just really meshes well. Uh, but we're continuing in this series, uh, The Extra Mile, what it looks like to, to go walk the extra mile for other people. And then as we dive in this morning, I want to just ask you to think about moments in your own life where you've been in a situation where someone should have known you were coming and should have made provision for that, should have anticipated some of the needs that you would have if you were going to be there. Uh, but didn't. Where you were there, you, you were expecting to, you know, that you thought you should have been expected, and they acted like they had no idea that you or the needs you brought with you were going to come across their path. I'm sure we've all experienced those, but just to prime the pump this morning, I'll share with you a few that I've experienced recently. Uh, one of them is actually my sister. Just a couple of weeks ago, she had a really aggravating interaction with a certain fast food chicken restaurant that I'm, I won't say who it is. Um, but she had this bad interaction <laughs> with them. She had a craving for their biscuits because they make really good biscuits. And so she, she pulled off her path and went to a drive-thru and said, I'd like a biscuit, please. And the, the voice said, no. <laughs> and she said, well, what do you mean no? I'd, I'd like a biscuit. I can't sell you a biscuit. And she said, well, well, why not? Well, it's not on the menu. And she, well, what do you mean it's not on the menu? And so she looked, and it turns out they sell biscuits by the six-pack. She could have bought a six-pack of biscuits, but she didn't want a six-pack of biscuits. She just wanted one biscuit. And so this person was very unhelpful, very unresponsive. Finally, she notices uh, on one of the, the sides of the menu, it says that there's a two-biscuit add-on that you can buy. And so she said, oh, well, can I just do the two-biscuit add-on? No, because she wasn't buying anything else. So there was nothing for her to add it on to. Uh, and apparently their computer wouldn't let them work that way. But I, I've been thinking about that ever since the last two weeks when it happened. Like, that just blows my mind that, that a, a restaurant whose business is to make food and sell it to people wouldn't anticipate the need that someone might just want one thing and want to buy it. And, and they made no allowance or anticipation for that scenario. And so then this poorly trained drive through employee is unable to deal with the moment. Uh, they didn't anticipate that possible need. Or... Unfortunately, I'll just share with you, I've actually inflicted that on others. There was one night where my wife and I were hosting a family uh, for dinner, and, um, and we had a really nice dinner with them, and, and it went well, and then they left, and, and we were cleaning up, and as we were cleaning up, I noticed in the guest bathroom that I had forgotten to replace the empty roll of toilet paper. And they'd used the bathroom during the night, and so I don't know what they did, we did wash all of the hand towels just to be on the safe side. But I felt mortified. Like, what must they have thought of us? You know, that we invite them over and we don't even make sure that they have toilet paper. Like, what, what was their conversation on the drive home about? Like, I think I know. Or even on a larger scale, like when it comes to doing something like going to church, like how many of us have had an interaction where, where our need wasn't anticipated? And I'll tell you, when my wife and I first moved here uh, to St. Louis from Colorado, and, and we, were, we were, had left a great church in a community that we loved, and it was a top priority for us that we wanted to get plugged in at a church. And so we had a list of churches we were going to try, and so we, we tried this one church. And, and of course, because we were a family with little kids, the service started at 9, and we got there at 8.59. Uh, and so I'm already stressed because I'm the one that's the, I'm the time Nazi in our family. And I, I'd wanted to be there 15 minutes early and we weren't, we were there one minute early and, and we've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old and a five-year-old in tow. And, uh, and, and we asked the woman that's greeting at the door, we say, Hey, where's the children's ministry? We want to just get our kids dropped off and get into the service as quickly as we can. And this very nice, sweet woman said, 
you know, I'm not sure. I, I don't know if we're having children's ministry this morning. You know, some, some weeks we have it, some weeks we don't. Um, but here, let's find out. And, and so to her credit, like she's, she starts to walk. She's like, well, let's go, let's look. And this woman proceeds to lead us through every single hallway that exists in this church building. And, and she walks us through and says, oh, maybe it's in this room. And we go and nope, that room's empty. And okay, you know, there's another room it's sometimes in. And so we go down a new hallway and we spend like 10 minutes and the whole time, my blood pressure is just rising because I'm like, we're missing church, we're missing church, we're missing church. And we finally get to the end of the tour, and she says, you know what? I think we must not have children's ministry this morning. And I say, things you could have told me 15 minutes ago. And so we had to like take all right. so we had to walk into the sanctuary like 15 minutes after the service started with all three kids in tow. And of course, the one-year-old's upset and freaked out, and we're trying to stuff crackers down her face to keep her from screaming. Uh, I mean, it, and it was just this miserable thing. And here's the thing. I'm sure the teaching and the preaching of that church was great. I'm sure the worship was really good. I don't know, because honestly, I was so stressed out, I couldn't hear a word of the message. Uh, we missed most of the worship, uh, and, and we left, and we said, you know what? We're not going back. Like on, on our list of churches that we're checking out, like we're done with that one. Because it's like they didn't even anticipate that there might be a family with young kids that's running late because that's what families with young kids do is they run late. And, and so we didn't go back to that church. And it wasn't for anything wrong with their teaching. It was just simply that we didn't feel like they anticipated our needs. Now, hopefully you've also experienced the other side of that story, a time where someone thought through what you might need and made allowance for it. Uh, I'll give you a positive example for me, and this is me just sharing. Uh, If you didn't know, I have one major vice, uh, and that is Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is my vice. Uh, I love it very, very much. My other vice is I don't want to overpay for Coca-Cola. I know exactly how much every grocery store charges for a can of Coke. Uh, You can get them at Aldi's for 27 cents, Costco for like 26 if it's a sale day. So for me, that's my standard. I should pay 26 to 27 cents for a can of Coke. That's all I ever want to pay. But then I had this interaction with... Uh, a particular fast food chicken restaurant. And again, I'm, I'm not going to say who it was. But I went there. And the first thing I noticed is that they didn't have their soda fountain out on the floor where the customers could reach it. And see, here's the thing. If I know that a good value for a Coke is 27 cents and the fast food place is going to charge $1.50 for a soda, that means I have to get five refills to make good on my investment. And I do get five refills. And so when I saw that they didn't have the soda fountain out there, I said, oh, they're trying to skimp me on my God-given right to refills. Think that they're going to hide it behind the counter. But if you've ever been to this particular restaurant, you know what actually happened is I was sitting there eating my food and an employee came over and said, can I refill that soda for you? And I was shocked. A fast food place is going to refill my soda? Yes, please. Thank you very much. And he came back five more times. (laughs) And I took advantage every time. And now I'm a a very big fan of that place, right? They anticipated my need uh, and they saw it. There's a hotel out in California called the Magic Castle Hotel. Uh, And it's the top, one of the top rated hotels in the country. Uh, But it's not fancy, 
it's not posh, like it's not a Ritz Carlton or anything like that, you know, but so you just think, what is it about this hotel that's actually just kind of normal looking that makes it so top rated? Well, at this hotel, they have a pool and at the pool, they have this. Yeah. Because someone somewhere said, hey, we're going to have a bunch of kids and it's going to be hot and they're at the pool and they're going to want nothing more than a delicious frozen treat. And you know what? Let's make that possible for them to have. And so that is just one example of the things this hotel does to go above and beyond to anticipate the needs of anyone that might stay with them at their hotel. Or to just make it back to this community of faith question as well. We, we didn't go back to that church uh, and in fact, the next week, we, we said, all right, you know, that's it. There's, there's a church that we'd been putting off trying uh, because it was too big. Uh, it was 30 minutes away from where we lived in Dogtown. But we had such a disastrous experience with that first church that we said, you know what? Let's drive all the way out to Clarkson and Manchester and we'll give St. John a try. Because at least they should know whether they have children's ministry or not. Right? <laughs> all right, you know where this is going. And so we drove all the way out here, and we got here about 8.59, and, uh, and, and we walked in, we just said, hey, can someone point us to children's ministry? And someone took us, they took us right there, and the first thing our kids saw was a slide, and they're like, we want to go, this is great, this is amazing. They gave us slips, they, they said, oh yeah, we've got your phone number, if anything goes wrong, we'll text you during the service. <sighs> Thank you, we can just relax, we know that if anything happens, our kids are, are taken care of. Uh, and, and then the icing on the cake was that after the service, we went, we went back to pick up our kids, and the volunteer in our three-year-old son's class said, by the way, uh, here at St. John, we think it's really important that three-year-olds have a Bible. Uh, and you guys missed that. Like, we gave out Bibles to our three-year-olds like a month ago, but we just wanted your son to have a Bible. So we found an extra one, and we gave him a Bible. They gave my three-year-old son a Bible, and he was so ecstatic. And he said, Mommy and Daddy, I want to come back next week. And he's never wanted to go to children's ministry in his life. Uh, but he wanted to go back because they gave him a Bible, they, and it, sh- it showed him at three years old that they cared about him and they wanted him to come back. And that, as you've anticipated, was the beginning of a journey that led to me being right here uh, on this platform. And that just blows my mind. I mean, if that other church had known whether they had children's ministry or not, this might not be happening. Uh, but right, but it's this little thing. And again, I love the preaching here. And I think that is a cornerstone of the value that we bring, how Bible-based we are. But I don't even necessarily remember what we preached on that day three years ago. But I remember how they treated my son. And they acted like they knew that young families might be here. And they anticipated the needs those families might have. And so this, this matters. And it's not just matters for best practices here in 2018. It mattered even back when Jesus was around and even when it comes to God's design for how he wants us to live as a community of faith. And so let's look at uh, the second week. So it's anticipating needs and we're going to be in Luke. And Luke was one of the followers of Jesus who, who took the time to write down Jesus's life. And he just told the whole story of Jesus's life from birth to resurrection. Uh, and he's going to share with us one particular uh, anecdote of something that happened to during Jesus' ministry. It's on page 1035, and just to set the scene before we get into it, is I want you to picture um, this is happening. Jesus has been invited to a dinner party. And so before we read about the dinner party, I just want you to think about this. You, you, don't, you can't necessarily relate to turn of the millennium Palestine 2,000 years ago, but you can certainly relate to being at a dinner party. You've been at one, you've hosted one, you know what a dinner party is like. So, so as I, we go through the story and as I read the scripture to you, don't just 
you know, turn into like, oh, this is Bible listening mode. Like really think and compare this to dinner parties that you've been to. Uh, and because I think if you do that, you're going to start to see some of the teaching and the revelation that God has for us in this particular story. So here we go. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And already there's something weird. This is a very odd start, because if you know anything about Jesus' life, uh, you know that he and the Pharisees were not BFFs, all right? They did not like him. He was a threat to their power and their prestige and their their role in society. Uh, By and large, they were not fans of him. Even when a Pharisee actually liked Jesus, when he thought that Jesus had something worthwhile, they had to, like, hide the fact that they liked Jesus. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was really into Jesus, believed what he was teaching, but he had to sneak into the house at night to talk to Jesus because he didn't dare let any of the other Pharisees see him talk to Jesus, all right? Like that's the, that's the social uh, climate of the day. So already this is weird because this is a Pharisee who, who is a part of a group that doesn't like Jesus, but he's also willing to have Jesus over to his house. So, so all right, like this is gonna be interesting, but at the very least just know there's already tension before it's even started, because already there's there's going to be some people here that don't normally mingle, and yet they're going to be at a dinner party together. So we continue on. Jesus is at the house, but now a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She crashed the party. And as she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This is an amazingly generous gesture. It's also super awkward. Right? Like, don't put on the Bible glasses. Like, think about this. Like, they're at a party. This Pharisee has invited Jesus over. He's probably looking for some high conversation. They're going to talk about theology, maybe. Uh, and now here's this, like, riffraff from the streets that's, like, weeping and wailing and interrupting the conversation. And she's, like, wiping Jesus' feet. And, I mean, that's just weird, right? Don't, don't skip past that, that there's already a lot of awkwardness going on at this party. Okay? We continue. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he thought to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And just to make sure you understand this, that when it talks about this woman who lived a sinful life, that's a biblical euphemism for sexual sin. This woman was either at worst a prostitute or at best, you know, someone who was sexually promiscuous, right? And this was kind of the worst level sin you could have. Like this woman was no longer fit for civilized society. And, and this Pharisee who's hosting the dinner, he sees her, and, and his initial judgment is not just on the woman. His judgment actually spills over onto Jesus. Because if Jesus only knew how bad she was, he wouldn't be letting her touch his feet. He'd be kicking her away like any normal, self-respecting, proprietous person would do. And ultimately, not only did he judge this woman, but he... he looked at Jesus himself and put Jesus down a peg and thought, he must not really be a prophet. And now here's where the story takes its ironic twist. 
Jesus answered him, answered his thoughts, because he didn't actually say anything out loud. So there's this Pharisee who's thinking, ah, Jesus, if he really knew things divinely, he wouldn't you know, tolerate this woman. But at the exact moment, Jesus is knowing divinely this guy's secret thoughts. And so he answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, Simon said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, and just for equivalent's sake, that's about two years' wages. So whatever you make, multiply that by two years. That's how, much, that's how much they owed. The other person owed 50 denarii. That's like two months' wages, okay? Two years' wages, two months' wages. Now, neither of them had the money to pay him back, and so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And I want you to notice here, have you ever been asked a trick question? Simon knows. He knows the trick question, and he knows the answer is obvious, but he kind of does this weasel out language. Well, I guess it's this one, because here's the thing. Simon doesn't like this answer. Because he knows ultimately that Jesus is going somewhere and that Jesus is in fact exposing Simon's inner thoughts. Uh, and, and Simon doesn't like the direction that this is suddenly taken. You know, like polite dinner conversation. Now we're getting into forgiving debts and, and Simon's starting to feel a little uncomfortable, a little hot under the collar, not knowing precisely where Jesus is going with this. And so here's where Jesus goes with it. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Now, those three examples might seem odd to you, so just to be kind of simple with it, this, these were the standards of hospitality and courtesy at the time. And, and it makes sense if you think about it. Like When you live in a culture that was before air conditioning uh, and before being able to hop into your car to drive where you wanted to go, where you had to walk in the dirt and the dust and the mud to get somewhere, and you entered someone's house, you'd kind of want someone to rinse your feet off for you before you had to go track mud all over their place, right? You can see how that makes sense. Or, or this idea of greeting with a kiss, and this is still common in Eastern cultures, that's a sign of friendship. Uh, when you greet someone with a kiss, it's saying, you're my friend, you're in my community, you're in my circle, I'm glad you're here. And, and Simon didn't do that to Jesus. Or, or ultimately, you can see how in a, in a culture where they haven't invented deodorant, uh, pouring scented oil on someone's head might be a good idea before you all have to eat a meal together uh, next to each other, right? I mean, so, so the main thing to take away is just simply, these were the basics. There was nothing tricky or extra mile about these three things. These were the basic standards of courtesy. And Simon, as we've mentioned, is a Pharisee. He knows the basic standards of courtesy. He's a big mucky muck of the town. He's the center of civilized life. He knows exactly what was expected of him towards a guest, and he didn't do it. And Scripture doesn't tell us why he didn't do it. 
But I feel pretty solid. I think I know why. I think I can speculate and get to an answer because here's the thing. I don't know about you, but I have been a begrudging host. I have had people over to my house that I didn't want to have over. And and normally it goes like this. It's because I get home from a long day of work and I'm looking forward to just relaxing and winding down before bedtime. And I walk through the door and the first thing my wife says is, guess what? I invited the Malutans over for dinner. And I say, ah. You know, and, and I want to say, you know, can we uninvite them? But of course you can't do that. And I like the Malutans. It's just that, that it's been a long day. And so what do I do? I become a begrudging host. I say, well, fine. They can come over, but, but we're not getting out like the good wine for them. And, and they're not staying for dessert, right? Like we're, we're sending them home promptly after dinner. You know what? And no toilet paper for them. All right. I've lived it. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily for judgment of the people. It was just simply that I didn't want to be hosting. And, and, and so I passive aggressively took that out on the people around me. And I don't know that's what's happening with Simon, but, but it sure makes sense because, you know, if he's this respected leader of the town, you know, he probably feels this obligation to invite someone like Jesus who's making a, a big um, hullabaloo. Everyone's like thinking about him. He's in the news. Uh, he, he, he's like the new uh, thinking of the time. Like, of course, you got to have him over if he's coming over. But you also know the kind of hangers-on and the people that follow Jesus. And it's a lot of tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and, and people you wouldn't really want coming into your house. And, and so when I look at this story, frankly, I identify pretty well with Simon. That he knew the kind of stink that was going to happen. He knew the, the, the fury, you know, people just weeping and, and wiping people's feet with their hair. He's just like, I don't need any of that junk in my life. I'm busy. And so that's my guess, at least, as to why he denied and withheld these basic standards of hospitality. But but, but here's where Jesus really starts to drive it home then. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever's been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven, And the other guests began to say among themselves, who's this guy who even thinks he can forgive sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Most awkward dinner party ever. And I think it's important for us not to skip past that awkwardness too quickly because it's certainly in our day and age and in our culture, you know, people agree with Christianity or don't agree with Christianity, but there's no question we represent kind of the social respectability end of the spectrum, right? That, that, that people, if you go to a dinner party at a Christian's house, it's going to be, you know, very civil and it's going to be polite and, and, and there's going to be, uh, you know, just kind of the standards of decorum. You know, there's not going to be like women weeping and people airing their dirty laundry and, and people calling out people's hidden sins and, and deepest thoughts. Like that's not polite. And, and I, as I wrestle with the kind of Christianity that I myself have often lived out, like, like I kind of veer towards that civilized side, and, and yet the picture is Jesus is part of one of the ones who's disrupting that civilization. He's the one that's making it awkward. And, and so what does that mean for us today? What, what are we supposed to take away from this story? And so for me, there are a few points to make. The first is there's this focus, uh, th- this idea, that, and Simon's the one that starts it, with saying, if you only knew if you only knew how bad she was, you would be able to judge her accurately like I have done. You see, he knew all of her worst sins because it was a small town. He, he knew the worst and he used that knowledge 
to condemn and to ostracize. But what's so interesting and so ironic in the story is that even as he's thinking that, here's the God of the universe, the, the, the being who actually created not only everything, but this woman herself created Simon himself. He knows her far more deeply, far more intimately than Simon ever could. And instead of using that knowledge to judge and condemn and disassociate, he used it to show compassion and to meet her deepest needs. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great theologian, summarized it this way. He said, when it comes to us living the life we're called to live, we, need, we must learn to see others, not in the light of what they've done or omitted to do, but more in the light of what they suffer from. I'll say it again. We've got to see people less in the light of what they've done or omitted to do and more in the light of what it is they've been suffering from. And he says that's the key to being this compassionate, inclusive, welcome uh, mindset that's what Jesus models in this story. You see, because the other crazy thing about this is not just if Jesus knew her and knew Simon and knew her sins and knew Simon's righteousness and and knew her her needs, but but that Jesus' focus was ultimately on the woman. And this is mind-blowing, guys, because who's the most important person at this dinner? By far, it's Jesus. It's God-made man. He is the most important being who has ever lived, lived, and he's the most important person at this dinner. And where is his focus? Not on himself, on her and on what she needs. Here's what's so amazing to me. There's this moment in the story where Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the question is, at what point were her sins actually forgiven? Did it happen right there at the dinner? And ultimately, I don't think that makes sense of the story. I think it had to have happened before. This woman had met Jesus already. She'd interacted with him, and she had received unconditional acceptance and love, someone who cared for her and thought about her. And that's the only thing that explains her completely over-the-top behavior, right? She may be a sinner, but she's not stupid, like she knows what she's going to be thought of and what people are going to, how they're going to treat her if she goes to a dinner at the most respectable man in town's house. She knows what they're going to think of her, and she does it anyway, and she goes over the top trying to meet the needs of her Lord Jesus. She goes over the top with her tears and her hair and her kisses and her perfume, and it's extravagant. And on the one hand, her extravagance contrasts with Simon's withholding and his rudeness. But on the other hand, it shows that in spite of all of this, Jesus Jesus is not ultimately focused on his needs. He only even brings up the courtesy for the sake of pointing out to Simon where he was lacking and where this woman had something more. And what she had was forgiveness. What she had was a need that had been met long before this dinner ever happened. Or this is how Paul puts it in his letter to Romans. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we even knew our depravity and our needs, Christ was there to fill those needs. Before we ever begged forgiveness, before we ever apologized or made it right, before we ever expressed our loss, God already knew where we were and met that need proactively through his son's life, death, and conquering of death on the cross. It's not just for this one sinful woman. It's for me and it's for you. And we have a God who not only knows everything, but gave everything to meet our needs. And he had no need or reason to do that. He's God. He's the most important one. And yet his focus was on the needs of others. His focus was on your needs. 
And he was willing to do whatever it took to meet those needs before we could even make ourselves right with him. And here's why this matters for us now today in 2018. You see, Simon's house is a picture of a community of faith, right? That's where all the believers gathered. It's where people got together for fellowship and teaching and sharing of bread and wine. And Simon had his own opinion of what kinds of people should be at his house and at his dinner sharing his bread and his wine. And it was the people who had been forgiven 50 denarii. It was the people who, by and large, were fine. Like, yeah, they had maybe some junk, some, you know, some things that they needed to work on, but they didn't necessarily need Jesus that much. They didn't need God's forgiveness that much. They were good, respectable folk. That's who was invited to Simon's house. But Jesus painted a different kind of picture, a picture that said, no, 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 the people I want in my house, the people I want in community with me, the people that I want to be filling their needs are the ones who have 500 denarii worth of needs. The kind of people that might come through our doors that I don't know what they or you might have been addicted to. I don't know what sexual sins you may or may not have committed. I don't know what fears ultimately drive your worst behaviors. But what I know is Jesus has enough for those needs. And I know that he wants you here. You see, the Pharisee was so obsessed with knowing who this woman really was. And here's the thing. I don't have to know who you are. I don't have to know what the struggles are of the next person to come through these doors. What I need to know is myself. I need to know that for all, however respectable I might be, however respectable you all might be, I ultimately needed 500 denarii from Jesus. And that my respectability isn't worth anything if I don't have the unconditional love and acceptance that comes from people who have felt the same thing from their God. And that's what needs to mark my ability to anticipate someone's needs, right? Think about this. Someone at Chick-fil-A really loves soda. And they said, we want to make sure we refill it. Someone at that hotel said, I like popsicles. And if I like popsicles, someone else does too. And the only way we're going to be able to anticipate other people's needs is not by being mind readers and understanding them perfectly. It's by being self-readers and knowing what our own failings have been. Knowing where we fell short and knowing exactly what God knew about us before he accepted us anyway. Before he invited us in. And so think about it. What's been holding you back? From going that extra mile for someone else for inviting them into your life because of some perceived failure on their part? What is it in your life that makes it difficult to show love and compassion to others? Is it that you don't think you've been forgiven much? Is it that you don't have margin or time in your life? Is it that you've got other priorities that you need to make sure happen first and then once you get around to it, Maybe then you'll be able to be accepting and inclusive of other people wherever they might be in their journey. You have to answer that question for yourself. All I can say is, is that three years ago, I found a place that anticipated my needs and made it clear that they wanted me and my family here. This morning, hopefully you saw our new commons that just helps people say that whatever stresses you might have had this week or this morning, here's some coffee and it's good. And that come in here and would see not just someone up on a stage, but a whole group of people that says, I've been there, 
I know the lowest, I'm broken too. And because of that, I don't need to know you to know that you're welcome here too and we want you here. That's the kind of community I've received and it's the kind of community I hope that we continue to pay forward for not only the least of these who might walk through our doors, but the best of these as well. No matter which way they come from, they know that they are wanted here, they are desired here, and we have thought through what they might need from us so that we can give it to them. Amen.